Welcome to Inspired Surfers on Wavelength Community Radio in partnership with Jimmy's Iced Coffee. In this episode, Jim is in conversation with Hugo Tagholm. Hugo runs Surfers Against Sewage, a charity that has been leading the way in environmental activism for the last 30 years and an organisation that has massively benefited from Hugo's ambitious leadership for the last 12 years. Hugo Tagholm from the man behind uh, SAS, Surface Against Sewage. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Just good afternoon. Hey, yeah, Jim. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good um, in these sort of strange times. You know, it's um, you know, a, a really crazy time in, in our world at the moment um, and seeing sort of society changing in front of our eyes. Um, terrifying in some ways and, and exciting and exhilarating in other ways. Um, but yeah, I'm sat here in Cornwall. The sun is shining. The wave forecast in the coming days is not too bad, and we're we're allowed to go surfing. So, um, so yeah, it's um, not too bad a not too bad a time. Thank you. How are you? I'm I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, similarly to you, um, definitely enjoying some of these parts um, of of this lockdown. Loving um, loving quieter roads. Loving being able to take my kids out on bikes on the road and actually go around a roundabout that I would never normally go around with my kids. Um, for fear of being knocked off. And yeah, man, we're five minutes from the beach here in sunny Bournemouth. Glorious day here as well. And um, yeah, just being able to enjoy the beach has just been beautiful. It has been pretty busy because everyone loves getting down to the beach locally, um, as you can imagine. But um, yeah, it's been, I've really enjoyed that that quiet time, hearing bird song, you know, that kind of stuff has been, has been really, really lovely. And we just about managed to uh, have our crew working from home and continue running our company. So, um, yeah, we're really lucky with that. You know, there's a lot of small businesses that haven't made it through, and I, and my, you know, I feel super sad um, for those companies. And I think we would have been in the same situation had this happened to us, you know, four or five, maybe even six years ago or less. So, um, yeah, I feel very lucky that at the moment we do have our head above water. Well, good, good for you. Yeah, I think um, you know it's re- it's really interesting what you say about you know being out side and particularly with with the kids as it were um it's funny I have my son Darwin who's 12 you know it's funny going for walks and bike rides with him and going to the beach with him and and actually being sort of more worried about him coming sort of close to people rather than cars so you're yeah. steering him around people rather than vehicles um which is which is strange um and yeah you know it's it's a privilege to hear the nature waking up around us I think we see during these times that um when we take pressure off nature it can really rebound quite sort of quickly um some of that is just a sort of perception because it's quieter but some of it i think is is very real um and it shows us and is almost a signpost um during these challenging times to the the world we we sort of need to be um the new status quo we need to adopt and the thing we really need to do is work out how do we how do we deliver nature recovery without stopping society how do we do do that with a with a different sort of vehicle. Um, and I think we'll, we'll find it. I think we'll see investments in green, socially and environmentally responsible companies. Um, and I think there'll be a huge appetite for people um, to support that. So yeah, exciting times. Yeah, just two points off that. I think it's been really interesting and quite entertaining seeing CCTV footage of, um, I think there was a, some clips of Paris where there were some um, deer just running through the streets. Uh, and kind of nature taking yeah. a bit of a claim back, and also, I mean, even examples like Chernobyl, which um, which is now flourishing with wildlife, which is just incredible. Um, yeah, well, well, the world over, you know, in in our sort of area, you know, surface against sewage. Of course, we're renowned for sort of probably our two sort of big areas of campaigning um, on water quality and on plastic pollution. But we've been doing a lot on climate change and a lot on marine protected areas in in recent years um and i think that the the case is always sort of supported by the science that if we take pressure off nature if we let you know big parts of the ocean or or we we reserve big parts of the ocean for um for nature and nature only um that the the ocean revives and restores itself and and we see that on land too and that's part of what we need to see in this sort of next decade that's part of our campaigns and part of lots of organizations campaigns over this next decade which is the UN decade of habitat restoration, the UN decade also for 
for ocean science, for sustainable development. And this, this is a really important time for us to, to work out um, how um, people and planet really survive sort of sustainably, because it's not a binary choice. It's not either either we have industry and and um, and uh, people thriving in their lives or we have thriving nature. We have to deliver both. Yeah. And that's serving the right level of nature around us um, to, to, to act as the, the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, the, um, the, the sort of mainframe for us to survive on planet ocean. And so it's, it's really exciting to look at that equation and see how that will, will, will come together because of course, um, of course, really this is about our, our, um, our own survival um, and happiness on the planet. And, and this, this period has shown just how important nature is to people. Everyone's been locked down in their flats in big cities, in their houses in Cornwall, around the country and around the world. And what people are really feeling is this sort of nature deficit disorder. We can see how unhappy people become and unhealthy people become once they have the opportunity to be in nature taken away from them and once they have those connections taken away. So never has it been more important to see the value of our ocean, the value of our countryside the value of our wild natural spaces to our actual existence in our cities in our towns in our villages in our communities around the country and around the world yeah it's 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 fascinating to to see people's kind of behavioral changes it's it's funny when people aren't allowed to go out all they want to do is go out um and it's been amazing seeing people who don't normally go out go out uh and even the amount of exercise that people are doing is just it's incredible. People properly gulping fresh air and really, really enjoying it. And it's trying to adopt those methods and, and let and make them stick um, so that people do feel healthier and happier and do actually, actually want to go out and enjoy nature. I think one of the one of the interesting things I read yesterday was that Twitter, um, their HQ, they've they've announced to everyone, all of their staff, that they don't ever have to come back into work again because they've proved that working from home is successful. So that's people not commuting. They're not buying, you know, takeaway coffees. They're not buying this, that, and the other the entire time. Uh, they're not um, using the train. They're not doing all of these other bits and pieces. And they actually get to enjoy their own local surroundings. So rather than getting up at five o'clock in the morning, not seeing your not seeing your family or your kids, and you're traveling two hours into London and then traveling two hours back out again, you can actually wake up, enjoy a bit of family time, maybe go out for a little run in the woods or using your you know nature nearby. And then, um, yeah. and then, you know, and, and actually just kind of in, enjoying what I guess the the real meaning of community is about, like looking after your neighbours and stuff like that. We've, you know, we've yeah. uh, we don't we don't really know our neighbours that well. I mean, immediately next to us we do, but we've got a WhatsApp group for our road, and um, it's amazing now. I think it's going to carry on for. For example, you know, someone says, oh, I need a bag of sharp sand randomly. And then someone's got a bag that they've had hidden in the shed for the last six years. And they just, you know, trot over to their house and go and sort it out. And it saves another card. I always keep a bag of sharp sand close at hand myself, just in case. (laughs) (laughs) But it's amazing the community are asking for. And they get it. It is amazing. We we live on an incredible sort of street and we've got a really close community anywhere that's been brought closer through this. And, you know, we do our shopping for our neighbours who are, you know, a bit older um, and uh, we we help each other out. So um, sort of, you know, a cup of sugar, the the, the beer you might need, whatever it might be, you can knock on a a door um, in these times, which is which is great. So it's great to see community coming together. There have been examples, I think, of communities splitting apart too at these times there's been a lot of sort of sort of localism things i've seen around the water and sort of judgment around sort of surfing and using the the beach there's been judgment around various sort of activities which has been you know less you know you know less um it's good you know it's been it's been sort of alarming and i think the really important thing now is is you know for for us as an organization surface against sewage and for the sort of world is to like look at how we we support each other as you say jim how we how really we, we really work together as a community to not deliver the benefits of of, of, of sort of collaboration and, and supporting each other but also to look at how we work together to deliver the sort of protection for the environment that that we all love and you're very lucky in bournemouth i mean Bournemouth and Dorset's got some incredible beaches. I lived in Bournemouth for a year or so. Got many happy memories of surfing um, at the pier, um, at Kimmeridge, um, various places, um, and uh, some stunning sort of nature. And I think we know, and it's in the old adage, you know, people protect what they love. Um, yeah. and, and truly, people have realised how much they love 
nature and particularly the ocean at these times. We've just done a survey and the ocean is the number one destination that people want to get back to. Wasn't um, that, was it 86% or something that people were saying? Yeah. That? yeah. Absolutely. And, and this is incredible. And people's attitudes and behaviours are changing around their own commitments. So they're looking to fly less. They're looking to drive their car less. They're looking to waste less food. They're looking to recycle more plastics. They're looking to use less plastics. They're looking to refill things more. They're looking at the other sustainable alternatives to lower their carbon footprint, their plastic footprint, their overall environmental footprint at these times. And that's, that's inspiring. And that might have taken, in terms of behaviour change, years if not decades to deliver if it wasn't for this time and actually potentially if people can really focus on that coming out of this current crisis you know we, we're going to see a whole new ecological sort of boom for um for the sort of green industries and those who most want to protect the the, the the natural assets we have to to let communities thrive around them yeah and i think i think when people do actually have their complete exposure to nature and how amazing it is suddenly they don't need all of these other things that were top of their list. Um, and it actually makes life a lot slower and a lot in, in a good way and a lot more simple. And that's just surely got to yeah. be the best thing without all of these you know, extra complications that we all end up giving ourselves because we're always just so busy all the time, but there just doesn't necessarily have to yeah. be that. I mean, weirdly, you know, I've, I've never been sort of busier during this time and I'm sure as a business leader, um, and you probably have felt the same. You know, you've had to adapt to the whole situation and bring your organisation, your business forward. Um, and you have to um, also um, look at how you change your, your your delivery mechanisms, your messaging, all sorts of things. And so I am I'm regularly sort of at my desk, which is in my spare room, um, you know, um, from sort of six in the morning to six at night, if not sort of longer. Um, in that sort of mission, but it's, there's a lot of excitement with with adapting to the situation too. Um, it's great to be, as you as you say, be able to work from home. My son is is off, obviously off school. He's 12. He he does his homework in the room, sort of next to me, and he he loves you know having me around. I'm I'm travelling much less than I would have done. I, this week I was meant to be out in the states seeing some of our our partners and sponsors, um, but I'm here. And my son, who's 12, as I say, is is really um really pleased that I'm around more and I'm really sort of pleased. And it's interesting to, to just t- totally revolutionize, you know, how we do things. Um, that, perhaps what's sort of most exciting is when we can, when it can become choice. So we go rather than the lockdown enforcing on us, we go, right, yeah. I'm going to connect more digitally. I'm going to connect with people in a different way. I'll do the really important face to faces I need um, and see people where I really need to. So I'll basically reduce my carbon footprint. I'll increase my connectivity with people around the world through Zoom and Teams and Skype and everything else. Um, and uh, it will be a whole new way of being. The office itself seems like an anachronism to me. I was in our office the other day just to pick up some things and seeing lots of sort of fixed desks where you know, people's sort of mini sort of domains suddenly seemed very strange. It seemed like, well, why would why would you want to have a big desk in one fixed space? Why not? be more flexible and your twitter um example is really interesting and i've got friends who work for businesses who are saying we're going to close down our office now we don't we don't need it it's just an unnecessary expense yeah yeah i think there's there's a lot of savings to be made there and and, and a lot of businesses will you know lose out because they are actually there to serve people who have these offices and stuff um but you know we've got two warehouses one is a workshop slash kind of venue for parties and then the other one is a bit of storage for stock and um, and then all of our office upstairs. But we were chatting as our core team the other day and we thought, well, why don't we just why don't we just combine and actually have our workshop um, and and stock and fulfillment for online orders in one. And then we just scrap the other one and maybe rent like a kind of like a similar to a WeWork um, so people can come and go, you know, a maximum of 10 out of the 20. Um, yeah. And and just kind of experiment with that because it would save, but it would also just mean that you know, people, we've only got a couple of people that commute and there's like a 40 minute journey, which isn't too bad. Um, but still just, you know, we've got a couple of people who do work from home and they are absolutely smashing it out of the park. And you kind of go, well, do you know what, if you're happy there and we get to talk and you're still doing what we're meant to be doing, then you just go for it. I think that's just great. But then I I do admit there will be those days where, you know, where you kind of miss, because we've got a breakfast table at work where you've got, you know, 15 people all just sat around having scrambled egg, just kind of having a having a good old chin wag. And I wouldn't ever want to lose that. So it'd just be kind of interesting to try and figure out how you kind of get those back, whether it's like an after work pub meeting or you will go out for a lunch or something. Yeah. 
you know. I mean, it's neither, I don't think it's like an either or. I just think it's about like we're going to be in a much more flexible working approach now. You know? Yeah. You know, you know, leaders of businesses are going to be much less sort of anxious about this sort of working from home premise now. This yeah. this flexible working. You know, it's not. You know, work should never really be about you know inputs it really should be about outputs and trusting people to be able to do that and empowering leaders around us yeah. um, and, that, and that's the, the sort of main thing so i think it's an exciting time um, for that and you know once we've got the opportunity to combine the things we like most from both both models then then we're in the we're in the sort of new world the brave yeah. new world have the you know the, the social aspects of work and then we also are all able to work in our own way you know and it day to day would, would change you know some days you go we're going to be five people in the office some days it might be 20 people in the office dependent mm. on function yeah but people will feel much much less threatened about the, the this sort of flexible working approach and and maybe we're going to see a thing you know we were both very fortunate to live and work on the coastline and we know that Broadly, the coastline, you know, coastal communities in the UK suffer quite a lot of underinvestment. You know, there's not a lot of great jobs in all of them, all of those things. But this period of time might create a great coastal revival. People will realise I can do a job that's a a London-based business, work two days a week from London and three days a week from my front room because it works and there's no challenge to that. A hundred percent. An exodus from the cities to Cornwall, to Bournemouth, to the East Coast, all of these great places. I mean, it might be like the great Victorian era when our, our coastline, um, our coastal communities were were thriving. And so both from a holiday perspective, because people won't be going internationally for a while, but also from a working perspective. I mean, who wants to be trapped in a city if this sort of thing can lock you down or limit your options so much? Um, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it could be an exciting time. We have to be mindful of, of what that can do, both good and bad for our, our natural spaces. How do we... Mm-hmm. We manage, you know, our beaches and our ocean in the right way to engage people with conservation, with restoration, with the, the, the things that they want to see from, um, from uh, you know, the, the movement that surface against sewage is part of. Um, but what, what an exciting period. And, you know, of course, that's, you know, with complete recognition of the, 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 the terrible tragedy that's unfolding around the country and around the world at the moment, which we need to tackle. But there is there are the things we need to learn from it. Um, to make sure that we come back stronger, we can support each other in the strongest possible way and, and make sure that our planet can come back to full health. Yeah. And hopefully if we if we just get to that sweet spot of flexibility, then, you know, hopefully the the environment itself will just be able to creep back on its own, you know, accord and we can all kind of, you know, live harmoniously without sounding like some kind of tree hugger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, That'd be you, very know, cool. you know, I think... Um, I think you know. Hopefully, there'll be more trees to hug soon. I think is the is the sort of bottom line. Um, it might become the norm. <laughs> yeah, it may, may well be. I mean, I'd probably like um, you know, maybe we're at SAS. We're more sort of kelp huggers or seagrass huggers or yeah, or something like that. You know, whale and dolphin huggers. Um, if I can say that um, on on the podcast, you know that that sort of thing. Um, because because you know we've always been renowned. You know, from the very you know first days of the organisation as you know, people who are really connected with the ocean. You know, we're a group of people who sort of live and breathe what we, uh, you know, what we do. Um, you know, I might be one of the few chief executives in the sort of charity marine conservation sector that actually overlooks the ocean that I'm there to, to try and protect. I'm, yeah. I'm very proud to do that and very grateful to be able to do that. And what a beautiful daily reminder. Yeah, and we're, we're, we are also, you know, we are anchored and founded in that experience. And I always keep reminding myself with that you know we're not you know desk bound in the center of big cities or or, or pretending as it were to be connected to the ocean we genuinely are you know we surf we we swim we we, we connect with the ocean on a daily you know daily and weekly basis mm. um, and that sort of thing is really important because that's where we draw our inspiration and our and our drive from for the campaigns you know it started back in the 1990s with you know people seeing the, the huge issue of sewage pollution back then which you know still continues to this day in some forms although a lot of the great campaigning has 
has resolved some of the major, major issues. But, you know, it's the same experience today when people walk over coastlines that are filled with plastic pollution. It's the same issue when people, you know, see um, developments in places they shouldn't be. It's the same issue when people feel and, and hear about the impacts of climate change on our ocean and, and how we can play our part in that. So it's always this very authentic experience that drives surface against sewage. And I wouldn't have it any other way because it's hard to dispute the facts that we see with our own eyes. Yeah, no, that's 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 super cool. I mean, when did you when did you join um, SAS? This was about ten. Is it ten years ago you joined? Yeah, almost almost twelve. Um, I I mean, I first got you know, I first sort of was exposed to SAS, as it were, when I was um, you know um, much younger. When in nineteen ninety one, I took part in a competition in Polzeth called Surf to Save, um, and um, and I met some of the founders there. It was a competition that sort of supported the nascent Surface Against Sewage and and Greenpeace and Friends of the Earth. It was very environmentally minded. Um, and uh, I'd just come back from a long stint living in southwest France. And I was, uh, well, I thought myself a pretty handy bodyboarder, you know, um, at the time. And I took part in this competition and and um, and uh, sort of had a lot of fun. Um, but, um, but I took over after my career. I worked in charities in London, particularly. I worked with Gordon Brown's wife, Sarah Brown, for a long time. But I, um, I, I, I took over at SS in 2008. Um, an organisation that I'd loved for a long time um, yeah. because it combines my passions for the environment and for sport, particularly surfing. And so it's like the perfect nexus for me in terms of drive and passion. Um, and uh, I took over at a time that there'd been some you know, great people who had sort of led it, um, but it had hit some sort of struggles in terms of how to really sort of articulate some of the mission and how to... Um, to, to sustain the the, the grow you know the, the need to grow the charity and grow the impact and diversify what we did and so I took over with just a, a handful of people at SSHQ and I've grown the the I've turned it into a charity it wasn't a charity previously it was a sort of a different status and we we've turned it into you know of course one of the best loved to the marine conservation and campaigning charities in the UK and of course not just about sewage but particularly about plastic pollution uh, ocean protection climate change and the water quality is still endures, not you know, not least in the south coast, you know, where um, there've been a lot of problems in recent sort of years because of combined sewer overflows. So um, it's a passion that keeps on giving because I, I probably anticipated I'd be at SAS for three or four years when I first started, but we've been able to reinvent and develop things so much that I, um, you know, I'm really proud of, of what we're doing. I'm proud to build on the heritage of you know, some of my predecessors um, and 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 really deliver a lot of impact. You know, I'm proud that we've secured legislation on things like the plastic bag charge, the commitment on government policy around deposit return schemes, the um, the work we've done to um, to expose the ongoing problems that the big water companies are creating through sewage discharges. Um, yeah. And to really lead the way in a in a sort of voice that is is ocean optimism, really that, that says, look, there are these issues, but we can fix them, and it's up to business to now be responsible and take the 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 the, the, the responsibility to uh, to invest and do the right things. So they put the planet before profits. Yes, yeah, it does seem like there's kind of like a big swing in that in that section and even in particularly with people who are actively investing in companies these days, they're actually looking at the company and kind of going, do I want to, I could get a quite a whopping great return on this, but they're not actually doing all that great as a company. So I think I might go and invest in someone else that may deliver the same return, but it might be less, but I know that they're actually a decent company and one that needs to be around in order to allow, you know, proper long-term growth. That's actually quite sustainable. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, employees expect it these days. Employees want to work for a company that has good social, you know, um, and environmental responsibility, good policies, um, is ethical. You know, we've seen the uh, the great growth in the B Corps movement um, over the last, um, you know, the last um, few years. Um, you know, certainly even in charities, you know, we're, we're pushed all the time. I have, you know, a great, a, a really great team, really engaged people, and they push me all, all the time. So, look, this yeah. is what they they all want to listen to those calls. You know, they want to see certain things. They're, they're interested in who we want to work with, who we should work with, um, what we should do at our office, how we should conduct ourselves. Of course they are. And, uh, and I think that we've got to build the best businesses for the future. And the most successful will be those that are, you know, have got 
the environment in mind as part of the bottom line. Yeah. Did do, do you think did Surface Against Sewage start purely because there was a kind of like a eureka moment uh, where it was just kind of like, oh my god, I'm seeing a load of sewage, like raw sewage being dumped in the sea. I need to do something about this. Is that kind of how how it began? And then obviously it is, as you say, so much more. Um, you know, we're, we're yeah, about- I, mean, I mean, you know, that is effectively how the story goes. You know, people, you know, surfers getting sick of, you know, actually being sick of sort of surfing. You know, getting, you know, going in the water, becoming sick, and that that being a driving force. And um, and so, so yes, in a way, I think you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. So you can always go there was a eureka moment with hindsight. I think often with any movement and um, with any movement sort of building and any sort of business really often it's really a, a, a collection of iterative sort of steps and decisions that lead to to uh to to, to the sort of outcome yeah and so with, with hindsight you can say that there was that one moment and that starts to crystallize over time into a bigger and bigger moment yeah but actually with all of these things they tend to be a, a collection of decisions and a collection of, of actions that you take that, uh, that, that build your movement. And I think, you know, we've seen that um, as we've grown our impact on plastic pollution, particularly, you know, there were, you know, eureka moments, for example, with plastic pollution, despite the fact that we had worked for about a decade before on it. Um, Storm Hercules in 2013 was a massive moment for the plastic pollution sort of crisis. It was mm. the this incredibly large storm that hit the, the, you know, the Western fringes of the UK and then the whole of the UK and not only created giant swells that were well documented around Europe, um, many of them surfed at places like Nazare and Belhara, but also um, deposited these these monumental um, sort of quantities of plastic pollution on our beaches, um, the western sort of facing beaches around us, Perrinport, Watergate, um, uh, Prat Sands, places like that, you know, took a massive hit. And it was there that suddenly the the, 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 the the sort of the world sort of really woke up and the public were very engaged in in the plastic pollution sort of issue. Um, and we had been involved in it and leading lots of things, beach cleans and campaigns on that issue for a long time. But it was then that suddenly sort of the touch paper was lit with the public. We saw new organisations starting at that time um, to mobilise volunteers. We saw new campaigns starting at that time. And so that was one of the sort of pivotal moments. And then, I mean, everyone will sort of know that, that the Blue Planet also awakened the world. To, yeah, to, incredible. And this, this incredible documentary, um, which, you know, showed the beauty of our ocean and, and raised the, the huge issue of plastic pollution in public consciousness. And what's most amazing about that program is that it was never really intended as a, a program about plastic pollution, yet that is what it's remembered for. Mm. So seven hours of broadcasting, only 14 minutes was actually dedicated to plastic pollution. 14 was, minutes. It was always in the final episode, wasn't it? Because the whole series would be abs- absolutely beautiful. And then David kind of ended yeah. on that last episode of, if you want this to hang around, um, you need to stop doing this. And yeah. it was, it and so I can imagine 14 minutes that really changed the way business, government, society and individuals started to think about plastic pollution. Um, and we were really well primed for that. So it was another moment uh, in, in time when we, you know, we had all sorts of things ready to go for people who wanted to take action. We had the Beach Clean Network. We're proud to lead and support 100,000 volunteers every year around the UK on that mission great to pick up plastic and record it you know even better to get the data to start campaigns to stop it from being produced or stop it from ending up on the beach in the first place mm-hmm. our plastic free communities movement the only sort of sort of five step plan in the world to help communities decouple from plastic sort of plastic use um we had um all of our campaigns on bags and bottles and cotton bud sticks and various sort of other single use avoidable items that that were in uh, in train so we were really good to go, um, but we can look back at these key sort of, I would say them sort of these sort of catalytic and sort of springboard moments that, that, that help suddenly accelerate public engagement with what you do. Yeah, I guess that kind of that storm was, was a blessing in disguise to get the uh, to get the awareness out there for it. Yeah, I mean, often, you know, you know, good, good and bad come together. And again, we're seeing that in this current crisis. So there's always there's always these sort of these shock moments in society that suddenly suddenly lead to big change um mm. 
see it all sort of bubbling under the surface first and public engagement with something first, but then often there's this big jolt um, moment that, that that helps propel you into the next stages. So we've seen that on sewage. You know, you've got to bear in mind that, you know, Surface Against Sewage followed on from really, you know, other big decisions around the water industry. We were known, you know, throughout the sort of 80s as a dirty man of, of Europe in terms of our, our record on sewage pollution and other sort of pollutants. And then yeah. companies were privatized in 1989 and it was part, you know, as part of that privatization, you know, they had a commitment to clean up their act. Um, there was then big sweeping legislation that was coming in from Europe um, the bathing water directive and the urban wastewater treatment directive and various other bits of really powerful legislation. And then, then, then came along some, some surfers who really hated, surf in sewage pollution and really saw it vividly and had a very charismatic and powerful campaign approach to it mm. and so, so that was an you know a pivotal moment a pivotal decision to help sort of expedite and 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 make the public aware of this this huge sort of issue and the solutions that were needed so so yeah i, I see these things sort of retrospectively as being very clear at the time you don't always see that and it's probably the same in your business jim that you know there are things there are decisions you make and then and then actually you, you sort of the, 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 the looking back on them they become clearer as sort of pivotal sort of moments yeah of course because you get you get the results don't you and then you kind of go oh geez was that was that actually worth doing or not it's, it's pretty interesting yeah. your yeah. um your point about the kind of um the interesting and kind of out there campaigns that you guys do which is always amazing to watch from the sidelines um and I, I remember I, I, I became a member of SAS. I kind of, I've been a member on and off since I've been like a teenager, really. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I grew up in Dubai and I remember uh, you could, I could only get um, surfing magazine um, from my local shop that arrived once a month that was, that had my name written on it. Um, and I remember getting my first kind of pack through and I, I randomly, I remember my membership number, which was one, one, seven, six, three. I don't know why I remember that number, but that was my SAS number. And I it's amazing what sticks with you. Isn't it weird? And I and I got one of their their first stickers, which was the guy in the gas mask, and it's a black and orange sticker um, yeah, with the, one. Yeah, the iconic spray shot. And it's just I, I remember it so vividly. And I remember seeing my um, my biology teacher. He had a he had a briefcase, and he had the same sticker. And I remember we just we just like bonded over it. Like after class, I was like, "Sir, when did you join?" And we just had this like cool. Yeah. Like, and this is you know this is Dubai in like early nineties. It was it was a it was a really yeah. cool. A really cool little moment, but that that kind of iconic shot of the gas masks and stuff, and going back onto the campaigns, um, seeing you guys, you know, outside Parliament dressed up in wetsuits and gas masks and loads of spray painted up surfboards and stuff. That's that's a really powerful, awesome yeah. campaign. Just how does that work? Just a random quick one. How does that work logistically? Right. So we're just going to wear our clothes, our normal stuff. I'm going to park around the corner get into our wetsuits how long can we last um are we going to have a quick paddle in the thames or what we're going to do yeah well it's a good sort of question and i'll um yeah i mean I, i'm i'm frequently sort of seen sort of changing between sort of suits to wetsuits you know outside sort of parliament or or, or jeans and a plaid shirt to to, to wetsuit outside parliament and you know, sometimes i'll hide in a, a in a in the, the 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 sort of the underground car park opposite opposite um opposite Westminster and sometimes I just get changed on the street I mean we're quite used to a surface aren't we putting a towel around our waist and just, yeah, just getting on with it yeah it's really the context in which you do that that seems weird because if you're doing it you know if I'm doing it at my favorite surf spot you know at Perrinport at Druskin totally normal mm. if I'm doing it outside Westminster it seems like I'm a bit strange yeah what <laughs> is this guy doing <laughs> but, but you've got to sort of you've got to swallow your pride you know i mean campaigning is about making a making a statement and 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 making it very visible and those sorts of campaign stunts are very important and even the first issue of pipeline magazine our membership magazine attested to that back in 1990 um you know it said the main modus operandi of surface against sewage was to create these publicity stunts to draw public attention to the issue mm. and um to get a response from that so that that's sort of fascinating and I um I, I like doing that. I mean, these days we're very sort of well known for being in a wetsuit with a you know a, a giant sort of creature and gas masks and surfboards and placards outside Parliament, as well as you know being able to campaign in exactly the same sort of way, but in suits and ties inside Parliament. Yeah, just 
we're wearing different types of suits doesn't mean it's a different type of campaign ask. It's just that we're adapting to situations and it's good that we can do that. So we're proud to to work through this 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 group we helped set up called the Ocean Conservation All Party Parliamentary Group, which brings charities and other people together. But to your point on on sort of being in Westminster, I think the best sort of anecdote would really be outside um Parliament on World Environment Day last year when we were launching our Generation C petition um, and um, engaging MPs with that. So we brought our the creature from our film, The Creature, up to Westminster um, on the back of a big sort of lorry. Um, and we uh, had it put outside Parliament. Um, we had lots of campaigners in wetsuits uh, with placards. Um, and uh, we were there to sort of intercept MPs as they went past to talk to them about the need for greater greater action to protect our ocean in terms of the climate crisis, protect our ocean from sewage pollution, to protect our ocean from plastic pollution, and to, to, to safeguard and highly protect big swathes of our ocean over the next decade. And anyway, we were setting up, and we, we did have the sort of relevant permissions, because you have to be quite careful with the sort of the law, as it were, to get the right permissions. But, yeah. but I a good lesson that day, because we worked with a great company um, called Anarchy, on 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 making the, the the creature because the creature in our film of course is a big maquette um, a model um, and they they turned up to help set this this creature up I um, in their big black van with anarchy written along the side <laughs> now, I know now that on the day that Donald Trump it was the day Donald Trump was just leaving London I know now that to turn up in Westminster with a big black van with anarchy written on the side in a wetsuit with gas masks and surfboards and placards you're wow. going to have trouble so we spent about an hour and a half negotiating with the police to be able to carry on doing what we were doing yeah, and to uh, to be able to continue with the, the campaign sort of demo, as it were. And that was that was pretty interesting to be, as it were, um, yeah, discussing our, our campaigns with armed police people um, on that day. We, it, was all, it all ended well, and we had a great campaign. We had, you know, 100 or so MPs sign up to support the campaign that day. We then put on our suits and went into Parliament and had a reception around this where we had a, an incredible young activist called um, uh, Jazz uh, talk to um, talk to the MPs and other people in the room about her, her feelings as a young ocean activist um, of how we need to protect the ocean. And she's one of our reps in Wales. Um, we also had a whole sort of host of great organisations with us there, um, Greenpeace and... Um, and um, Marine Conservation Society and lots of people from the surf industry, Lo- loads of great people. And we love to be really collaborative in that space. It's about bringing people together, yeah. empowering as many voices together and building a coalition of the willing to protect our ocean. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, h- how does it work when you know a, a member of parliament sees you in a wetsuit and, you know, with all due respect to surfers, there's a there can be a stigma attached to, oh, you're, you're a bit of a bum. Um, and perhaps seeing you in a wetsuit and then half an hour later actually seeing you suited and booted and really talking the talk about what you were demonstrating on outside. Is there, is there, you know, do you get, do you get treated, you know, like absolutely properly when you go and do that kind of stuff or are they kind of like, Oh, pat you on the back. Well done. You're a surfer. See you later. I haven't got enough time with all due respect to those people as well. I mean, I think we're highly respected in, 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 in Westminster. We're highly respected, you know, in the media circles, we're highly respected by the, academics and the, the the other campaigners that we work with and you know i don't think that the um that the carrying a surfboard of being a surfer should be a be a, a badge of, of dishonor as it were i think it's actually a badge of honor um, absolutely I think, I think that people know that surfers um you know are very connected with the the ocean environment of course it's it's inherently part of what we do um, and, you know, they know um, because of our track record, because of our credibility, because we base all of our campaigns in science and the, the facts that are available to the, the public and to decision makers. Um, they know that we run very legitimate campaigns and have very legitimate successes. Yeah. And so I don't find that, um, that, that the being in a, in a wetsuit actually is, is a is a is a, a you know, it's not a negative thing. It's about it's about communicating who we are and what we want to see. And that is 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 a part of our DNA as an organisation. I think, um, you know, we're equally as comfortable as I've done many times presenting evidence in Parliament in a suit and tie. I'm equally as comfortable being grilled by the Environmental Audit Committee. I'm comfortable being grilled by the London Assembly. I'll present evidence to whoever and have the robust discussions we need to. Yeah. To see 
the issues we care about raised to the top of public consciousness and 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 call for the action that we want to see and where we have you know proven deliver the successes that we we have um in legislation in company changes um and um and to make sure that the ocean has a, a true and sort of characterful voice that is willing to to take the sort of necessary risks um to uh to, to protect it it's it's such an interesting point because um like the ocean can't talk uh, neither can a baby and neither can a business and you know in your family you know when i when i my kids are six and five now but when they're a baby they're crying and you're like well it's either hungry or it's in pain for some reason i need to figure that out um or it needs a poo or something like that and you have to be the interpreter for making them safe and well um and in business it's interesting you know i've 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 learned how to become you know the the voice for the company and sometimes you have to make a uh, you have to give someone bad news for example but it's only for the benefit of the business is not because you just want to be an ass. It's actually just you going, well, look, the business needs this. So that's why I have to say X, Y, and Z. And it's the same with, with the sea, you know, and all of the, all of the wildlife in the sea, they, they can't talk and go, dude, can you get this bag out of my face? Um, you've got to have, yeah. you've got to have people who are, who are, are doing like what you guys are doing. And it's a, it's a, it's an incredible thing that you guys are, um, as far as I'm concerned, the, the loudest voice for, for that. Uh, not just in the UK, but but globally. Well, thank you. I, th- I think it's you know it's really vital. You're, you're right. You know we need to make sure we stand up for our ocean and our natural world now. And it's clear. It's absolutely clear that the business as usual, as it were. Let's let's say you know BC before COVID. You know was was <laughs> failing. You know failing the planet. You know it was. You know we were we were we were um, <clears throat> we were clear cutting every natural resource out there. To support support uh, uh, you know an unsustainable lifestyle, mm. and, and and now we've had this you know we've got we're in this we're in this moment of pause we're in a moment when we're going look like, what are we what what will the new you know what will the new world need to look like for us to really thrive um, on on the planet in the long term, and so um, we need to think radically we need to think uncomfortable thoughts at times about what we can and what we can't do mm. on the planet what products we should have, what products we shouldn't have, how much we should each travel and how much we can each consume. And so there's a really exciting time where we're going to see individual behaviour change being vital. We're going to see business behaviour change being vital. We're going to see governments need to really think radically about changing how they they do things, how they change policy and legislation to to do things that truly, truly allow communities um, to flourish and truly allow the the planet to recover yeah and we're proud to be part of that i'm proud of all of our volunteers around the country the beach cleaners the citizen scientists the campaigners who join us i'm proud of our regional reps we've got incredible regional reps i think some of whom you know and brilliant people um, who are so passionate about their beaches so passionate about their areas and so knowledgeable um, and i'd like to give them a big virtual high five as it were because we couldn't do it without them. And I'm you know, really proud of the team. We've got the trustees, the team at SSHQ and Wheel Kitty in, in St. Agnes, you know, great people, passionately committed to the ocean. Um, and it's that passion that connects us. That's the unifying force that will mean we can be successful. And we're, we're not afraid to be radical. I think we're at a nice size. We're not a massive charity. We're a, we're a you know, nice size charity. You know, in our space, big isn't necessarily beautiful. Big is, big is, you know, is potentially cumbersome. You know, too yeah. too many too many overheads to support a big glass office in London. You know, we don't we don't need that. We're not like that. We're a we're a small, agile, um, inventive, and resourceful charity um, that hopefully um, gives real impact and real really amplifies the voice of our brilliant members and supporters around the country and around the world with our mm. international advocacy. Well, I'd, I'd also like to give your the, your supporting crew a high five because uh, one of the SAS reps a few years ago when we started doing cinema nights at our local cinema, um, we were just doing normal plastic straws and they you know they came in and they're like, uh, guys, what are you doing? Um, why don't you swap these out? And this is just you know this is pre this is way before the whole plastic straw thing was really there. Um, and uh, yeah, and we and we switched it and they kind of gave us a high five and said thanks very much for listening. Um, you know, otherwise otherwise all okay. I guess it's. It's kind of ironic that um, you you probably take a look at us um, and think, right? This is a this is a, this is a single use drinks company that I'm talking to. Um, so it is a little bit kind of you know we're, we're probably not your favourite company in the world. Um, I guess when we 
when we launched Jimmy's, we um, you know, none none of that kind of plastic stuff was on our was on our radar. And then suddenly you're in a company with ten or fifteen people in it, and you kind of go, right, well, we can't just stop the company, but what can we do in order to change? So I remember actually being at Kimridge one day and finding a lid in the sand uh, and the lid could have been one of ours it might have been another company's but I'm happy to put my hand up it might have been ours and that was a real kind of defining moment of is this what our business is about is actually making iced coffees where you can you know where a lid is going to end yeah. up in one of the most beautiful spots where, as far as I'm concerned in the UK and that was that that was the absolute trigger for right how do we get into can um, that's infinitely recyclable and then try and lower our carbon footprint as much yeah. as possible so we've got our it's sort of fascinating in the plastic space because you know the world uses far too much plastic. There's just no doubt, and there's so much avoidable, sort of unnecessary plastic too. And um, you know that's that's the real crusade. You know, plastic has some amazing qualities too, and has enabled us and enables us to do many sort of things. So we mustn't sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And one thing people have to realise is what we need is you know, of course, the first thing is as a reduction. How do we reduce consumption? Not just a plastics but of all materials that are sort of necessary yeah but then but then also within the plastic space we're talking about the need for a a materials and a systems revolution you need to make sure that not only do you create um more sustainable the choices through the materials use but also that we have the systems that are fit for purpose to truly create a circular economy you know we Mm. need to you know, infinitely recyclable things. We need to give people the systems to put their packaging and, and other products into. So it comes back as not just a down cycle thing, but an upcycle thing into a better product that can yeah. then be again and upcycled again. So things keep adding value to society because at the moment that's not the case. As you know, Jim, most of our plastic isn't recycled. A lot of it is exported to poorer countries that can't cope with it, where it pollutes the environment. And then as a, you know, as, as this, this, this sort of, as it were, great developed nation, we have the audacity to point our finger at those countries and say, look at look how dirty that country is. And that's, yeah. that's they're often dealing with the waste and convenience from our our society. Mm. And that's just not fair. So this is a question not just of environmental protection, but this is a question of fairness and equality around the world with people who are much poorer than you or me, Jim, um, who need to be, you know, given given more protection. So I think that the sort of social and an environmental movement goes sort of hand in hand here. This is about equality and fairness between, between uh, you know, um, between nations and also between people that are much less fortunate than ourselves. Yeah, I I, I hear you. Um, it's it, it's a it's a it's a struggle, isn't it? The, the between our world and and I guess the third world or the developing world. It's um it's a real tough one. And yet they, they've already got a hard time as it is. And yet there we go, just dumping dumping a load of rubbish on their doorstep to sort out. And it's kind of like an out of sight, out of mind kind of mentality, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, all, all very well if, if for us as, you know, you know, a, a rich nation, you know, we go into what, what could be described as sanitized nature, somewhere that's regularly swept, regularly manicured for our well-being to go, oh, look, you know, it's all, it's all fine, basically. Yeah. From our, from our, uh, our, our sort of activities to be exported elsewhere. And, you know, we see the same with carbon, of course, much of our, you know, our, our carbon dioxide emissions are exported to countries that are the manufacturers for the world, you know. Mm. So, um, so, you know, we we don't see that, as you say, out of sight, out of mind. And we need to look at a more equitable future across the whole world. Um, and we really need to look at the the ability for the, you know, the planet to, um, to sustain people at a good level and how that's, that's spread, um, you know, more evenly because we have a great disparity across society. Um, but, um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, what you said, Jim, I think, you know, we're, we're all, we all need to, um, to, to, to make changes. And so, so we, we, whether it's surface against sewage, whether it's me individually, whether it's your company, whether it's, you know, other companies we work with or don't work with, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that we all have to make changes for a, you know, a brighter, bluer future on planet ocean. It's Correct. not, it, it's a collective collaborative effort. Mm. The truth is that you know if government puts the right legislation and in place and the right even playing field for business, that it's better for business too, and we'll see faster change. And often behaviour change amongst the public will will follow on from that. You give them the framework to work in, and they'll they'll 
they'll they'll work with that. And we see that that it's, it's like smoking bans. You know, people would still be smoking in pubs if there wasn't legislation that said you can't smoke in pubs. But there's great behaviour change. People people have changed their behaviour not to smoke in pubs because there's a great piece of legislation that says you can't smoke in pubs. Yeah, not exactly. Not to. <laughs> Now let's talk a little bit of um, surfing. Where did, did you did you grow up in Cornwall? So you've had it on no, your. No, I didn't. No, I, I didn't. But I've been sort of a, a regular sort of um, in Cornwall and the southwest for a long time. Um, I've probably spent as a young boy a lot more time in some ways in southwest France in Cap Breton. Oh um, wow! From home for for me. Um, but um, what, led, but, what led you to Cap Breton? Um, oh, my, my, there's a strong sort of family love for that area. So my parents um, and my grandparents loved that area, um, and I've been going for years. And I've got some of my sort of best friends and acquaintances sort of down there, you know, within the sort of industry. So I spent a lot of time there in my life. Um, and um, the southwest is a, you know, a, a, you know, I've lived in Cornwall for 12 years now. Um, I, you know, went to university in the southwest. I went to Exeter University, um, who very kindly gave me an honorary doctorate last last year which was oh, a, congratulations that's amazing the sort of work i've done on 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 ocean conservation um and um and uh, i moved down 12 years ago um and it's been a such a great journey it's such a special part of the country yeah um, you know having seen quite a few parts of the world I, I think we've got you know possibly some of the best coastline and scenery that i've ever seen some of the best sunsets, um, some of the most heartbreakingly beautiful countryside and nature in the whole of the world that I've seen. I mean, particularly at this time of year, um, May and June, when the hedgerows are bursting to life, when the sea is 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 that sort of turquoise blue, when you get the really groomed sort of swells and light winds, um, so amazing. Um, oh. <laughs> grateful to 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 live in such a such a sort of evocative sort of landscape um, and run SAS from here. Um, it's a great privilege. And, and, and the waves are so amazing. And, you know, the, 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 um, the corners you can find for a relatively quiet surf, brilliant. So, you know, my favourite spot as well documented is Droskin um, Point in, in uh, um, Perrinport. I am um, a goofy foot um, and on a certain tide with a certain swell size, with a certain swell direction. You are a, there. That is that is my my go to sort of space. Um, I love it with sort of all my heart. It's a brilliant place, and um, you know I'm, I'm very happy. I, I had a surf there with Darwin, my son, at the weekend, and he got some. It's only small, but it's really perfect. He paddled into some really nice little zippers. You know, it's only for me, sort of whatever chest high, um, waist chest high, and he he got some great waves. It was uh, it was cool to see him. Um, I hooted him along a, a few of those 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 um, feelers, so that was cool. There's something um, so exciting about um, going for a family surf, isn't there? Yeah, like we had. Yeah. Um, I went to Oz with the family at Christmas for a few weeks, and um, I managed to buy myself a, a a McTavish longboard, which is just absolutely beautiful. And um, yeah, I got my boy on the front of it, and um, there's a really fun little wave in Apollo Bay um, on the Great Ocean Road that just comes off this this harbour wall and it's it's literally like knee to thigh high um but perfect just both actually not standing up but both just lying down but both sharing this wave and obviously when you're lying down you're much closer to the water and it was a really really magical thing and it suddenly goes from you just enjoying it to you just in you enjoying it and your kids enjoying it so you kind of get this like double whammy um yeah and where you don't think yeah there's nothing Uh, like that that look the, um, you know, you come out of the water, you feel it, you know, as a surfer and all of the people sort of listening, they'll understand it when they use the water, you know, the calming effect that it has on you. You know, there's a there's like a, an osmosis that happens when you go in the water that your stress drains out, that the, the worries can drain out of you. That um, And it's a real, it's a sort of a really um, therapeutic thing. It's meditative and there's nothing like that sort of glistening sort of glow in people's eyes, that sparkle that you see. And I see it in my son, you know, he comes out of the water and the, 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 the whole soul is invigorated and the eyes communicate that sort of most strongly. Yeah. And I really feel that there's a magical power to the ocean. And again, you know, coming back to the current situation, you know, we need to we need to do even more to protect these spaces because they're so important for the health and well-being, both physical and mental, for the for the country. Correct. And so, you know, a great thing, and we're so fortunate to have so many good waves. There's 
there's waves I surf only in the winter because they only work in the winter near me. There's waves, um, you know, um, that, that deal with the biggest swell. I mean, I don't surf big waves, but there's waves that sort of deal with a, a bigger swell and or spots and uh, and various sort of nooks and crannies we surf. So it's a it's such a diverse community and and sort of county down here. It's um it's pretty cool. Um, and around the world, you know, I've had like you know, I sort of travel less these days for sort of sort of as it were for, for pleasure in a way for, for 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 our holidays but you know i have had the good fortune with work to surf some good waves i've I have to spend a bit of time in southern california and northern california for for work and have surfed some great spots and um, there of course places like trestles and um and uh, salt creek and you know, all sorts um up at santa cruz as well some some awesome waves and um, so it's so all over the place but um but you know the UK and actually, you know, I think back, Jim, to Bournemouth. I remember I was a sort of really sort of I had a really sort of flexible moment um, of sort of time in how I worked when I lived in Bournemouth, and I um, I, I remember so many good sessions, solo sessions, weirdly at the pier at Bournemouth. Like I remember one in particular, overhead, super clean. The water for there was greener than I'd sort of ever seen it, greeny sort of blue. Yeah, and I this incredible sort of session at the, the pier, and it could be such a nice wave. I mean, I know it can be crowded and I know it's irregular, but actually it can be a super fun wave. Yeah, when it's on, it, it's 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 really, really good. And there's actually quite a few spots um, along the coastline heading kind of towards the Isle of Wight that, that can just, just be completely magical. And we've had a couple of winter sessions where you'll just get a text while you're at work saying, dude, just get down here immediately. And then yeah. uh, you'll, you'll get a, a little troop of about, five of us um and we'll just hop in and end up just basically in in hysteria of giggles um which is actually just so much fun um yeah and you know that's that's it and like we must never forget to have fun and what you know you know fun restores us we've got to have fun when you know we've got to we've got to try and have fun when we work we've got to try and have fun when we play we've got to restore ourselves we've got to do what we love you know we we're we're, we're lucky to live our lives and and actually you know, fun's a big sort of motivator to, to keep us keep us doing the other side of things, you know, to, to, to fight the hard fights, to do the hard things, to do the boring things too, of course, you know. Yeah. You know, what I don't see for me, you know, there's there's plenty of time in front of a screen on spreadsheets and on 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 proposals and on documents. There's plenty of travel time by myself sitting in boring hotel rooms. There's plenty yeah, of I hear time, that. you know, I'm I'm away from my friends. There's plenty of waves that I actually have to sacrifice too. There's plenty of swells I have to walk away from or get on the train away from mm. because I have to, to fight the sort of bigger fight. And that's fine because I'm, I feel privileged to do what I do. But there's a lot of sacrifices and people have to understand that they're, you know, that will be part of everyone's life. There's got to be compromise. There's got to be sacrifices to, to do what you, you sort of love and to achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah, I, I, that just makes so much sense. And the whole idea of um, bringing fun into everything is is so important because it makes it actually much easier to do certain things if you can put a fun spin on it. Um, we've just launched our, or we're kind of it's soft launching, but we've got a, an academy. It's like a charity, but we haven't set up as a charity yet. Um, but it's it's called the Keep Your Chin Up Academy, and it's basically yes. um, giving giving young people um, – showing that the positivity can be a tool to get traction in life basically yeah, um, yeah. and if you just apply positivity or fun to a certain you know whatever it is in life whether it's work or life or play or surfing or whatever um you'll always come out of it going well that was you know you will actually just say well that was fun and you'll have a you'll have a smile on your face and it's and it's so nice to try and apply that into even the smallest things in life yeah, I mean, I think people just have to ask themselves a question. If you're walking into a room, do you want to walk into a room full of negative people or do you want to walk into a room full of positive people? Yeah. I think it's probably going to be a unanimous choice with the latter. Yeah, 100%. Look, I know we're kind of getting towards the end of this, so I've just got a couple of um, – it's almost like a bit of a Desert Island disc session here. Um, yeah. Your, you know, your one favourite wave is at um, uh, Perrinporth. What are your, your, other, your other two um, that you could keep? Or go, that you could snap your fingers and you could be there any moment. If you could have only three waves for the rest of your days, what were they going to be? Um, La Puente in, in Cap Breton. Um, okay. Beautiful spot that I've spent many happy days at um, and had some great surfs um, you know, way back into the, the nine, early 90s. So, yeah, um, I think... Um, 
You know, it's a good look on your face there. You kind of took you took yourself back yeah, there for a second. Right. There was a little half yeah. work. <laughs> I mean, I think you know, I um, I would, you know, um, I um, I would probably have to um, put a spot in this sort of UK. So I'm, I, I I I love Linmouth as a goofy footer. Yeah, um, I probably put Linmouth on its on its um, day. Uh, what a beautiful wave! Uh, That's the left point, isn't it? Yeah, we yeah reef, you know, it's a yeah. sort of point, and it's um yeah pretty pretty incredible, you know, off the top of my head. I mean, I'd say an inter, I'd say an international wave in, in you know, uh, you know, more further than France, um, in some ways. But but the, the sort of truth of the matter is, is is we might all be sort of much closer to home for a while, for a long while, and I think we should all realise the beauty and adventure that lies just in front of us. You know, whether yeah. it's Bark and seeing new corners out, or waves that are actually closer to home, and there's a lot of alchemy and, and magic that you can bring out of that if we do have to stay closer to home over the next few months or years. Yeah, so true. Um, and then an, an unridden, unridden wave that you would like to ride, despite ability. Not saying you're rubbish. Um, um, hey, that's that's like a. That's a really interesting one. I'd like to surf Raglan in New Zealand. Yeah. Just an amazing, uh, amazing left or Chikama in, in Peru. Yeah, um, I'm goofy as well. So those two are definitely ticked on the box. Amazingly long lefts, um, you know, places that are sort of revered and renowned for their, their their length and sort of quality. And, you know, I would love to surf those, you know, maybe one day, you know, try not to sort of, you know, fly you know, too much these days. You know, we've all got to think about our carbon footprint and try and avoid, you know, excessive sort of travel. Um, mm. So, um, so yeah. But um, you know, in the short term, you know, I'm, I'm I'm grateful to have what we've got here in Cornwall and in the UK. And I think we we uh, we we we've lived in a time, you know, that that we always are asking for more. You know, in a society that asks for more, and actually, you know, maybe we should all just think about being grateful for what we've got and what's at our fingertips. One hundred percent. Yeah. Man, I, I think that's just a, a beautiful way to end. Um, so, Hugo, I'm just going to say a massive thank you for uh, for taking your time to tell us about what you do and how you go about doing it. You must be immensely proud. Um, and thank you for being the the this such a great spokesperson for um, the ocean and beyond. So, thank you very much no for your time. Problem. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Have Take a- care. Uh, Bye. Yeah, see ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Inspired Surfers. Next up, we're in conversation with Rob Love, a serial entrepreneur who has always insisted that his companies are based on the beach.